Blog Talk Radio. there. How are you guys today? I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. On today's show, I have a great, great, great topic. I bet you're sick of hearing me say that. I say that every single time, but I'm so excited because I'm answering this mom's question, and she has sent this to me probably 15, 16, 17 times, so she is serious about getting her question answered. And instead of sending her a long, detailed email, I just thought, hey, I'm going to do a podcast about it because then I can talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, and other people can benefit from that as well. But before we get to that, let me do some announcements. Can I just say, we are inundated with forms for all of you who want CEU credit for watching any of our DVDs or um, the two courses, full-length courses that I have on DVD now. We have so many forms in this office that we have had to create a whole new email account for that. So if you are getting ready to send me your forms and you are not sending it by mail, and if you are sending it by mail, you certainly have the mailing address there. It's all over anything we would send you. But if you are emailing your forms because you want to be sure that they get here, or again, all of our DVDs, Teach Me to Talk, Teach Me to Listen and Obey One, Teach Me to Listen and Obey Two, and Teach Me to Talk with Apraxia and Phonological Disorders, all of those DVDs now are available for continuing education credit. So. If you watch those and if you're you, to get that credit, you have to there's a process and don't email me about it. <laughs> Try to find the link. You can search for it uh, at teachmetotalk.com. Just search something like ASHA credit or CE credit or something with the word credit in it and you'll find a link with some instructions. If you've previously purchased those DVDs and want to get CE credit, Go to that, you know, again, type that in. And I'm just sort of kidding about saying don't email me. I'm always happy to help anybody who emails me. But guess what? I get 200 to 300 emails a day. And so sometimes I can't get through every one of them. So if you could try to find it yourself, and then if you can't find out how to do it, then email me. But the whole point of this is saying (laughs) if you have forms to get continuing education credit, we now have a new email address specifically dedicated to receiving all of those forms, and it's really easy. It's forms, F-O-R-M-S, at teachmetotalk.com. And so any any of those that you want to send me, or if you have questions related to continuing education, you may want to use that email address so that I'll see those and won't have to sort through, again, that that huge volume of email that I get every single day. So wanted to share that with you there. Let me remind you, too, like I previously said, all of our DVDs are available for continuing education credit. So you would be a little crazy if you are a speech pathologist and you've purchased and watched those videos and you are not giving yourself credit for those. So get on teachmetotalk.com, type in ASHA credit uh, in the search bar, hit enter, and surely some links are going to pop up that you can uh, find directions for how to do that. We would love for you to take advantage of that. It's just a small fee. I think it's 10 bucks per DVD. And again, if you've already purchased those, you would be 
silly not to go ahead and get yourself some continuing education credit. Even if you don't use ASHA to track your unit, we will still, um, when you submit those forms and follow that process, we'll still get you a certificate of completion so that you can submit that for licensure. Or if you're in a state uh, who uses a credentialing process like I think Indiana does and um, Illinois does, if you need to do, or any kind of licensure where you have to submit your continuing education um, event, use teachmetotalk.com DVDs for that, for part of your credit. And they're all like an hour and a half or two hours or an hour or whatever. So uh, take advantage of that opportunity. Let me also mention that even though conference season is over, woo, I'm almost rested, <laughs> you can still get my courses on DVD too. And the courses, let me just say, they're not like um, other folks who have just recorded a live event. So you hear lots of background and you might not get hear, understand the questions or hear the questions that people ask or any of those other um, annoying kinds of things that you might see and you, you think, gosh, I wish I had been to this event live or I'm not getting the same out of it. Our DVDs, our courses on DVD are specifically videoed for you. So you can use that at home if you're an individual therapist and you want to watch in your pajamas or do it on a Saturday or whatever you want to do, you can certainly do that. Let me tell you what lots of groups are doing. They're taking, they're getting the DVD kit and then purchasing the additional CE participant packet and then using that course as a continuing education activity for everybody. So they all get together and watch it as a group, which people have told me it's been lots of fun because I can stop it and pause it and talk about it. I, I hope, I, you know, they're you know, dissecting things and comparing it to children that they see and, again, having some really productive um super opportunities to uh, network with their colleagues there, folks that they work with every day in their same offices. And so that, might, again, might be an opportunity that you want to do, even if you're not in an agency or a program where you guys want to, your boss wants to do that. You may just get together with a friend or two and do that and purchase the DVD together so you're splitting the cost. And then you'll, one set of CE materials comes with every course, and then you'll just add CE participant is how it's listed um, in our online store, and you can do that and then get yourself some credit. Now, some people have been frantically calling our office saying, Laura, if I order the DVD today, will you have time to get my credit processed by the end of the month? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. You've got to watch it, and you have to submit the form. But ASHA has assured me if any any form dated by December 31st, we will get that filed in January, and then the credit will be applied back to 2014. So if you're thinking, I don't have time to do that, that's I wish I had known about this months ago or weeks ago, don't panic. There's plenty of time, and you can still get that in as long as it's postmarked by December 31st, and we get it here. Now, we're not going to process that credit and send it to ASHA on New Year's Day. <laughs> we have some additional time to do that. And it will take a couple of weeks for it to show up on your transcript, but it will be there. Now, if you need your certificate by December 31st so that you can mail that to your state agency or your licensure board or whatever, now you're going to have to get that in sooner than December 31st. Please don't try to track me down at, you know, on New Year's Eve at 
6 o'clock and say, Laura, you need to get me this form right now, that is probably not going to work out for you. <laughs> so do some planning and get that in. But there's still plenty of time. Today is December 4th. So, goodness, you've got three weeks, three good weeks to uh, get all that in. So I wanted to encourage you to do that. Okay. If you are not checking out TeachMeToTalk.com every day or every couple of days, boy, are you missing new content because I am on a roll right now and I'm posting every single day something new. The last couple of days um, I've posted some really cute therapy ideas. Over the weekend I did one about Jingle Bell, so check that out. I also posted a therapy tip of the week from I think it was a couple of years ago maybe, either December 2012 or maybe it was even last year, December 2013. And there's a cute, cute, cute matching game on there that I have played every Christmas for the last 16, 16, 17 years now. So take a look at that really cute game. It will give you some new therapy ideas to really spice up your sessions this whole month of December as we're leading up to uh, the Christmas holiday. If you want something a little bit more formal than that, if you want me to plan the whole darn month for you, <laughs> check out my therapy guides. The Christmas, the two therapy guides, the titles are Christmas Activities for Toddlers and 12 Tasks for Christmas for Toddlers. Let me tell you about these videos. They're both... You can get them in DVD or online. It'll be immediate if you order the online version. You get a password. You can go to that and watch that video online. If you are uh, need continuing education credit for that, we that ASHRAE credit is pending, meaning that we've submitted that for approval, but they haven't gotten that approval back to us yet, but we anticipate that certainly in the next couple of weeks. So you can get credit for these um, videos too and boy are they cheap because if we if it's online it's you know again much 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 more efficient 20 bucks for the christmas activities uh for toddlers video and then 12 tasks for christmas i think it's only 15 dollars so and a continuing education credit comes with that so what a deal both of those videos the first one christmas activities for toddlers is really designed to be used with individual children it walks you through some early pretend play some really early kind of uh, cognitive things with matching. I think there's one activity on there about that. Uh, there's some ways to really target social interaction. So if you have little guys with autism or suspected autism on your caseloads and you're thinking, how can I make therapy fun over this next few weeks, there's certainly some really cute ideas there. There's some sensory box ideas. Uh, and again, I think I've already mentioned this, early pretend play with a Santa baby activity and then Christmas train. So if you have little friends who are interested in those kinds of things or if you just want something completely different to do for Christmas, check out that video in particular. Now let me talk to you about 12 tasks for Christmas for toddlers. These are structured teaching tasks. And I've talked about this a little bit on the show, but every time we do a conference, a live conference, then I am asking the participants, how many of you use structured teaching tasks or tasks from teach? I am always shocked at the number of people who don't know what that means, who don't know what I'm talking about with that and don't use that approach. Guys, if you work with toddlers, particularly toddlers who have visual strengths but auditory weaknesses, and we all know we're talking about our little friends with suspected or diagnosed autism spectrum disorder here, they love teach activities. And the reason that we would use these structured, visual, more cognitive-based tasks 
is that we are playing to their strengths and we're teaching them to, um, we're doing everything we can to facilitate attention, task participation, and task completion. And so for your little guys who have really, really short attention spans and who don't seem to like many toys or understand how to play with a lot of toys, start your sessions with structured teaching activities and help your guys develop some of those foundational skills before you move on to using lots and lots of regular toys. And again, this isn't for every kind of kid, even though typically developing toddlers love these activities too, you certainly will get more bang for your therapy buck when you look at these for your children with uh, cognitive issues and or significant attention issues and start therapy with those those kinds of activities. And now's the perfect time to do it because we're kind of gearing up for Christmas. Kids may be sick to death of what you've done for weeks and weeks and weeks now and you really want to bring in something new or perhaps you're stuck and you think, I have a kid that I just, I'm, I'm not doing the right stuff. I need some new ideas. I need a fresh approach. I need something to help me move him along. Check out that video, 12 Tasks for Christmas for Toddlers or for Toddlers for Christmas. I don't know. I don't remember what I called it. But check that out because you will get some background information about how to set up those tasks and why we do that and how, how those look and how you should talk during those and how to introduce it. You'll get a written list of materials. And all of my stuff is so easy to find and so cheap and easy for moms to carry over too. So take a look at both of those videos. But again, if you have a lot of kids with autism on your caseload that you feel kind of stuck with, check out that 12 tasks for Christmas for toddlers because you'll learn how to do those structured teaching activities and then you can, with some tweaking and some modifications, you can carry over those activities throughout the rest of the year. And that's uh, that's a comment I got back from the folks who were my peer reviewers for this project. They all said, I really like how you share troubleshooting tips and how that I can take these ideas, these premises, and then apply them to any holiday, any season, any other little activity, or any particular interest that a child might have. So check out those videos. And you have, uh, I just posted a new article about those today. So they're at teachmetotalk.com today. First post on the page if you want to check that out. All right, let's get to today's show. It's based on, I told you, a letter from a mom, an email, and she sent it to me, again, a lot of times, and I just love her because she's emailed me several times, and I guess she's finally realized the squeaky wheel gets the oil around here. So she sent it to me over and over and over again. But let me just read it to you. She says, I'm a mom doing speech therapy, and I'm kind of stuck teaching matching objects receptively that's written in your Teach Me to Talk therapy manual. You've given details about matching object to object, object to picture, picture to picture, but how is it done in a structured way? I'm having difficulty. How can I do this easily with animals or any other object? Thank you. Please guide me. Can you please write it just the way I should do it? And I love how she's saying to me, please just give me step by step by step with what I should do. And so uh, let me just start with how you could do this. Now, she mentioned that she already has Teach Me to Talk in the Therapy Manual, and lots of moms do. Moms will use this book at home to guide them, to give them additional ideas. And the thing that's great about the Therapy Manual is it's organized in a way that it's divided by sections. There's a, a cognitive section, a small chapter, a small chapter on social interaction, but then there are huge chapters 
on receptive language and expressive language. And I have taken every milestone or every skill that uh, uh, all the way from from older babies, just under 12 months, all the way through 48 months, which is four years old, every single milestone with language, receptively what a child should understand and expressively what a child should communicate, whether that's with gestures before he or she's talking. There's a little section in there on using signs and alternative augmentative communication or AAC. And then once a child starts to talk, all of those milestones, all of those skills that we test when we do assessments and evaluations with, with toddlers are listed and it gives you a description of the skill so that you can understand exactly what the child is supposed to be doing and then two or three ways to elicit that skill and then almost every um, milestone will also have a paragraph about how parents could expand that at home and so using family-friendly materials um, so that they, they could teach and work on this. So lots of moms use it. It's written for therapists, though, and that's the problem, I think, with this mom is that she has it and she understands it. But the way that I explained it, I guess, must not have been in that step-by-step-by-step way or she, for some reason, is having some difficulty implementing it. She knows what I want a kid to do first, which would be to match object to object and then move on to matching object to picture and then pictures to pictures and the matching by color. She gets that, but she still doesn't understand exactly how that should look when she's using it with her little girl. And she's told me previously, she's emailed me a lot, her little girl is on the spectrum. So I just wanted to put that out there too. So let's talk about how we teach matching, but before we do that, let me mention why we would want to teach matching. Because some of you as a speech pathologist, you may be thinking, that's really a cognitive skill, and I don't really work on that. That would be the teacher or the developmental specialist or the EI, whatever they call them in your state, the teacher people. Let me just say, <laughs> matching is a cognitive skill, and it is such an important part of building a foundation for language. It's a really important academic skill, almost every single academic concept that we can think about. Teaching a child really it begins, always begins with an earlier, easier skill. And matching is so important for helping children acquire those later academic kinds of skills too. It's also important from a language perspective because you want children to understand the concept, certainly as they get a little bit older, of same versus different. And understanding matching is also a component of learning how to imitate. You want them to be able to understand that they say the same things you say. And so much of imitation begins at a more concrete, um, object-based level rather than going straight to a word. So I hope you understand that as a speech pathologist or as another kind of professional. If you're a mom, just trust me. <laughs> it's an early skill that we want children to uh, learn how to acquire. Now, in the therapy manual, matching is listed. Let's see. I want to get this specific if I can get back here. Oh, I'm scrolling. 
It's listed receptively at the 24 to 36 month level, but children with typically developing language certainly, or cognition, certainly learn how to do it well before then. And so it's on the test really at the level when a child learns how to match pictures, but we we, ha we don't start with that. We start with matching with same object to same object. Now, speech pathologists may target matching inadvertently, meaning that we don't even really realize we're doing it when we're using toys like puzzles, or certainly later on as we are working with preschoolers with language delays and disorders and as we are teaching the language concepts, as I mentioned before, of same and different. But so many children on our caseload need really structured teaching so that they can master the concept of matching. And let me just walk you through how I do it. So I first start by helping children learn how to match two of the same objects. And usually I don't even start with two. I'll try to gather several of the same toy or a little object that you can use. And some of you are thinking, several of the same toy? How am I going to get five big footballs or five soccer balls or, or whatever that look exactly the same? Think smaller. Go to the clearance of uh, aisle and look for small toys, or even better than that, this is what I meant to say, go to the birthday party aisle at Target or Walmart or um, look at somewhere like Dollar Tree and look for those sets of uh, usually their birthday party favors. So you may get a set of uh, 10 of the same car or bracelets or dinosaurs, or anything, but be sure that you are looking at the very beginning, you want the object to match by color too. So if you have a set of cars, and there's a red car, a blue car, an orange car, at the beginning you may just pull the three red cars out and just focus on that, because you really don't want anything to be different at the very beginning. You want the child to understand this is the same. This car is the same as this car. And again, don't worry about using, you know, what should I say? Should I say match? Should I say same? What should I say? I don't do any of that. I just say car, 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 so that we're really teaching basic vocabulary at this point too. So what I do is uh, get one of those things, like your, at least have two sets. Let me just say it that way. So let's say you have three red cars and then you have three wooden blocks. So this is how I would do it. I would pick up one of the cars and I would say, ooh, let, let's match, let's match. Where's the car? Where's the car? And then have the child get the car or you get it and say, ooh, it's a match. Look, car, car. And say, let's do it again. Where's another car? Let's find a car. Let's match. And you're blending all of that vocabulary together because you're teaching that you're teaching what it means. You're teaching it on a conceptual level that car matches car, same. And again, don't don't trip over your words. Don't get too technical here. Say whatever you want to say. You'll help help the child get the third car. Then you might say, "Ooh, look, here's my block. Let's find the ones that match block. Where are the blocks? Show me the block." And then you'll have the child get the other block and bring it over. To a pile, and I would probably do this on the floor at first, and so you're making a, a 
you know, you're holding the card and you're bringing all the other cards over to the pile. And the same thing with the block. As the child gets a little more skilled, expand your set a little bit. What do I mean by that? I mean, use different items. So you may have three different kinds of things that you're matching. So you did cars and blocks. Now add yourself some balls. At the beginning, try to keep your objects as similar or identical would, would be best as you can. But as the child gets a little better, you can expand that a little bit. Let me tell you how I talk to moms about this at home. We might do something with shoes. We, in a lot of families, when you walk in their home, everybody's shoes are piled right beside the door. And, you know, I've told you before in the last few months, all my kids are grown and gone now. I do not have that massive pile of shoes by the door. That is one thing about motherhood I do not miss. There are lots of things I miss, but the big stinky shoe pile by the door is not one of them. You can use this, though if you're working in a family's home. So what you might do is pick one of the shoes out of the pile and say, oh, let's match. Let's find the other shoe like this. Where's this other shoe? Let's match it. Let's match it. And have the child dig through the shoes and find the matching shoe. That's a really fun way to do it. You could do it with socks if you have uh, colored socks. So say you have a red pair and you have a white pair and you have a black pair and you have a pair with stars. You could certainly teach it with that. You might even make it more, if you don't have to sit down with the child and do lots and lots of hand-over-hand teaching, well, let's just talk about that, and then we'll talk about how to expand it. If you have a child who's not getting it, with the earlier examples that I gave, with the cards and the blocks, you may do a lot of hand-over-hand. So let's go back to that example. Let's say we have our our three or four cars and our three or four blocks. You've pulled out the car, you put it right in front of the child, and you say, we're going to match. Let's find another car. Where's the car? If the child doesn't get it, you should point to the cars and say, look, here it is, here it is, get that. It's a match, it's a match, it's a car. You're pointing. If they still don't understand, take their little hand, reach it over, put it on the car, and say, Car, yes, it's a match, it's a match, a car, a car. Slided. Don't over talk beyond the example I've just given you there. Don't say something like, see, you weren't understanding it before. I wanted you to get the same one, and here's the same one, and now you finally understand that this is what I wanted you to do. Don't do that. Keep your language really simplified and child-directed and focused on exactly what you want the child to do, which is pick the object to match. And so do that several times. And and for our children with cognitive issues, with cognitive delays or um, whatever you want to call it, whatever word you're using for delay, impairments, deficits, whatever you call it, difficulty, with cognitive difficulty, difficulty learning, you may have to practice in this really structured way a lot. If you're a mom, don't get upset if your child doesn't seem to understand it after a day or two. Children with cognitive challenges have to have lots and lots and lots and lots of opportunities to learn a skill like this. So what does that mean? That means you have to practice. Don't give up. Don't think, well, he didn't get it today. 
and he didn't get it yesterday, and he didn't get it last Saturday when he when I tried, and then Tuesday the speech therapist here, and he didn't get it then either. I might as well just move on to something else. Don't do that. Don't do that. Give your child lots of I call it structured practice. You could think of it as therapy time, teaching time, homework time, whatever you want to think of it as. But you've got to set up situations where you're teaching that skill over and over and over. And you can't just teach it with that same little set of materials, the cards and the blocks that you're using. You have to make sure that a child learns to do it all of the time. Speech pathologists and other therapists and teachers call this generalizing, meaning that I don't just learn how to match the cards and the blocks. I learn how to match everything. I understand this from a conceptual level, and this is a skill I own and understand what to do. So if you have to teach it with the cards and the blocks for several days in a row before a child kind of gets it, Make sure then that you're introducing, like I said before, a set of balls that you would do that. Or um, say you you found a set of bugs at the Dollar Tree or Walmart where, you know, they're all blue bugs. Teach it that way. So make sure you're adding new material. So let's talk about the child who kind of gets it in that structured way and that you're looking for ways to expand that idea that are a little bit more fun. So go back to our laundry example or our socks example. Let's say that you've gotten out four or five pairs of socks there or mittens, you know, this is or gloves. This is a great time of year to do that. You know, think about anything that would come in a pair, like, we, you know, shoes or mittens or gloves or whatever. And so line them up and then put the matches across the room. When I've done this with kids, I'd say, you know, put them, put, Actually, what I've probably done is is lined up the matches across the room and then used one at a time, maybe pulled out their red sock and said, oh, let's match. Go get this one. Go find this one. Look, it's a red sock, a red sock. Go, go, go. And if they don't understand it, I help them. I I take their little hand, and we if we're trying to make it more race-like and more fun-like so the child thinks it's a game and he wants to play and participate, then I'll run with them. I'm holding the sock to match. I'm holding it there helping him look at it and say, which one, which one is it? Where's the match? Where's the red sock? Where is it? Where is it? And so you're doing that together, and you're showing them. You're making sure that they understand exactly what you're asking them to to do. Don't just sit on the other side of the room screaming, get the match. You you can do it, or something like that. You've got to really provide more hands-on instruction. And so... Help them get the match. You can either have them leave it there. That's what I like to do is put that one red sock on top of the other red sock. Or you can have them maybe grab it all and run back to the other side of the room. And then, again, you're layering your language. You're saying it's a match. It's the same. Look, socks, two socks. They're both red. Look, it's a match. It's a match. Those kinds of things. Then you would do it again. You would pull out your white sock. Repeat that process. You're going to say, look, let's go get this one. Come on. Where is it? Where is it? If the child still needs that, you going with them and running across the room together to get it done, you may have to do that for 75 times, (laughs) however long it takes for the child to really, really understand that. So be sure that you're giving enough opportunities and enough repetition because repetition here really is the key. It's the key to teaching any toddler anything. But when we have children who have cognitive delays, They're missing cognitive milestones. All of this stuff doesn't just come naturally to them. We have to really set up those opportunities to help them learn that. So give moms some ideas. If you've watched, 
you know any of my DVDs or or listen to any of my shows, I am parent education is huge. It does not matter if a child can do it with you in a session, then mom can't duplicate that at home. The child doesn't really own the skill then. That skill isn't mastered. So we have to always plan really specific homework and really specific ideas for moms to take away so that they can carry over these activities at home. So help mom think of other things that they can match. Maybe when they're in the kitchen, they can match silverware. You know, almost everybody would have a set of forks that matched and spoons and knives, okay? Well, maybe not the knives, not the sharp ones, right? (laughs) But you get my idea there. Now, at the beginning, remember, you do probably need to stick to matching identical objects. When a child gets a little better with this, you can, you know, and here, this really would be a tiny bit older skill because you would then be doing categories, but you could use cups and have a child get all of the cups and kind of bring those back, right? Now we're kind of talking about that one-to-one correspondence with matching identical objects, but know that for children who get that really quickly, you could certainly expand and go on to that. Maybe, maybe you might talk about this with a mom and she might say, he couldn't do that this week. And when you hear that, you need to get her to explain exactly what she used. It could have been that she didn't understand that she was supposed to match identical objects first. So she just set out, you know, a blue cup with a white glass and really thought that the child would understand that those are things that you drink from and so that's going to be the match. You don't know unless you ask mom and what she was trying to do. And unless you really explain, you want to stick with identical or as, as similar objects as we can get at this early stage of teaching, matching. So hopefully you'll be, be able to do that. Now let me just say something that I haven't said yet. If a child is already doing puzzles, matching a colored, say you have a farm animal puzzle and there's a picture of a the puzzle piece is a dog, and he's putting the puzzle piece in the right place, he can already do this. <laughs> and I've had moms before, when we've talked about matching, they'll say, no, they don't understand that, but then I'll realize in a session or two, oh, my goodness, this child is great with puzzles. Mom didn't really understand what I was talking about there. So when a child can do puzzles, he can already match picture to picture. So you are beyond this. So if you're listening to this and wondering if your child can do it, now let me just say, there will be some children who don't really understand and don't seem to be matching when you try to set the activity up, yet they're doing it with a shape sorter or with a puzzle or something like that, some other toy that really requires matching then it's probably you. <laughs> you haven't set up the game or the the activity well enough for them to know what you want them to do. So be a little bit more systematic about it or structured about it, or just don't worry about it at all because they've already demonstrated that they've mastered that skill when they're matching those puzzle pieces. So don't make it harder than it is. If you listen to last week's show, I talked about sometimes, you know, we try to make things too hard. We're We're thinking, you know, this is like, astrophysics or something like that. I think I used the joke last week with rocket science. Our sons who are finishing up their uh, bachelor's degrees at University of Kentucky are both in engineering, one's in mechanical engineering and one's in electrical engineering. And the the one who is in mechanical engineering this morning, he has significant dyslexia. I've talked about him a lot on the show previously. I'm still proofing his papers. He had a big design project due today, and he sent that to me. 
so that I could get all of the punctuation right. And one of the issues that you have with dyslexia, even as you get older, he's so much better with spelling. And again, he's in college, so he's doing fantastic. But he still sometimes will mess up. When do I, for a pluralist, is that just an S or is that an apostrophe or, you know, the a little bit of a spelling error with some words, or sometimes he'll leave out a word, you know, as he's getting a paper written. All of those higher-level mistakes. You probably can point out some of those mistakes, like in your friend's Facebook post too, right? <laughs> They're pretty common, pretty common mistakes. So I still preach his papers for those kinds of errors. Now, let me just say, I did not understand the content of that at all. This design project was something about the engine of an of some kind of, uh, airboat or powertrain for blah, 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 blah. See, I don't understand it at all. <laughs> That's rocket science. <laughs> the stuff that we're talking about right now is not that hard. So sometimes when we set up a little, what we think is going to be a simple game like matching, the child may already know it and may be able to do it if we didn't kind of get in his way and mess it up with too much instruction and too many verbal directions. So sometimes when you're working with a kid like this, if you're finding yourself talking too much or, or the child just seems to be tuning you out, if you can't make yourself simplify what you're saying, just shut up and show him. So you would grab, let's, let's use it with blocks. Let's say, well, no, let's don't do blocks yet. Let's do it with, with things that are really, really different. We can use blocks that say we're going to use another kind of toy. Um, let's say that we were going to match. Um, oh, anything. Uh, a little set, let's say that we're going to match a little set of men, army men, that we've bought from Walmart. And so we have our wooden blocks here. And you're going to, again, remember at the beginning, you wouldn't really use a red block and a yellow block and a blue block because you're not really color matching yet. You're just matching object to object. Instead of talking a lot about it, you would just grab one and say block, Match block, block, and you, if he doesn't get it, you're pointing to as you're saying this, and you grab his little hand and you get it. And you stop the over-talking because sometimes all that language is what really is masking a child's ability to not follow your directions. They're, they can't process because you're talking too much. So you may break it way down where you're doing more hand-over-hand -hand and more visual cues, pointing and showing him what to do rather than telling him what to do. And that may help too. So then in that same example, then you're going to move on and say man or guy or whatever you're calling your little green army people that you were having him match. And then you would just say, man, let's match man. Man, get it. Get the man. And you're pointing, and if he doesn't do it, grab his little hand help him grab one of the men from the pile and then put it with the other man and say, man, it's a match, it's a match, see, man, or whatever your word is there. So sometimes not talking too much and over-explaining can really help. It can. It, it, don't do that. Watch your words so that you are being simple enough for a child to understand what you want him to do. Okay, we're going to move on then to learning how to match uh, the hierarchy here, object to object, and then we you can match object to picture or picture to picture. Some kids will go straight to understanding then how to do a puzzle from this. You may, though, for kids in between, 
Uh, and sometimes it's funny, a kid can match a picture to a picture with a puzzle because they get that and they understand that and that's familiar, but then they have a little bit harder time learning how to match an object to a picture. And let me just say, again, I start with identical sets so that I'm probably either finding things that are as close as I can match them, the picture with the object, or if I don't have that, I just with all of our fancy phones now, I just take pictures of what we're trying to match. And so I might let's say that you have a baby doll there, and a cup, and a truck. And so you could take the picture of the doll that you're using, the truck that you're using, and I think I said cup, whatever I said. So take those pictures there, print them, and then you'll say, let's find it. And I, I usually start with holding the picture and then having the child put the picture on <laughs> the object or, or the opposite way. We have the picture lying on the floor or the table, and I'll say, where's the baby? Get the baby. And we reach over and get the baby and then put it right on top of that picture. So they get that concrete version of seeing, oh, that doll is the same as this doll in this picture. That's the baby. So you're matching that way. And it really will help in the beginning if you use as close to the same picture as the same object because you want to emphasize that those objects match and that they're exactly the same. Now, as a child gets a little better, you may be able to do things that aren't identical but that are still the same so that you have a picture of any doll and they match it to their baby doll or any car and they match it to their matchbox car or any train and they understand, oh, that's the same as my Thomas here. But that doesn't come at first, guys. That, that's down the road. So sometimes when we are assessing a child's ability to match, we don't really get that he understands that concept at a really foundational basic level because we've made it too hard. We've used things that aren't identical. Now, it will take a little bit of work to kind of set that up. But if you have a child who's not understanding matching in, in a toys like a shape sorter, that you're going to put the orange triangle in the, the place where all the triangles go, or let's say it's a shape sorting puzzle and they're really confused and they keep trying to put the circle in the square. You know, they don't have that. You need to help with those kinds of kids and start with matching at that object to object level. And then you can move on to something that's more abstract. But but realize a lot of your kids will not need this kind of structured teaching because they're already doing it. And they you can see that they clearly understand it because they're a whiz at puzzles. Or you introduce it just a little bit and they, they've mastered it, you know, and they're sick of it. They want to move on because they, they can show you they match three or four things in a row. Don't then spend matching at that same level. Don't don't do it for 30 minutes then and expect the two-year-old to stay with you who gets it. You have to bump those kids up. So for those kinds of kids, you really might look at making it um, a little more challenging. But if a kid doesn't understand, then you know that you can always back it back down and work on it at an easier, earlier level. One thing that I like to do with matching, too, is use those really cool uh, photograph books. Do you know what I'm talking about? The books that have pictures. They're not cartoons or, or drawn. They're actual pictures, actual photographs, those are really fun books to use too. And I know I've done um, some podcasts about that in the past. I'm not sure if I've done a therapy tip of the week about that. I'll have to look that up, and if I have, I'll link it here on this post. 
if you've been to any of my live events, uh, particularly early speech language development, taking theory to the floor, if you've been to that course, there is a video clip of me using this uh, therapy activity with a little girl. And I had my book of photographs, and then I got matching objects as close to the picture as I could get. I mean, I spent some time going through my all my toys to gather items that match as closely as I could the photographs in that book, and then you can certainly use it for a really fun matching activity that way. And then, guys, save all that. Put it in one Ziploc bag, and then you have that activity forever uh, to use for years and years and years to come with your little friends. And you might help a mom do this at, at a child's house if the child is having difficulty matching. And he's, he's, he's done it with you in more structured ways that we've already talked about here and you really want mom to practice. You might say, let's get a Ziploc bag. If she doesn't have a Ziploc bag, get a Kroger bag or whatever grocery store is in your town, even you know a plastic Walmart bag, and say, we're going to put you a little set together so that you can practice this with him. And you know, get her book that she's using for this. It, and if mom doesn't have a book for this, loan her one or buy her one or tell her, go to Walmart and this is the one I want you to buy. And have her you know, use her own resources because when parents have a little bit more skin in the game, they're more likely But go through their house and find objects that are related to that. If, if you can't do that or if that's too hard or if mom doesn't want to buy the book or you think that's too much, make your own little book. Take, and this would actually be even better because the, the objects would be identical. Take the pictures when you're there either with your phone or mom's phone. If, you know, Again, if mom's not going to be able to print them or whatever, you do it. Take them back next week. Pull all that together. You know, you may laminate them and uh, put them on a little uh, ring, like a book ring. I think it's what those are called, those little metal rings. I buy them all the time at um, Office Depot. I think Walmart even carries them now. But punch holes in the corners of those pictures or if you're really crafty and want to make something that looks more like a book, you know, knock yourself out and do that. But that's a great way to teach that. And you can show mom how to make it really, really structured so that you're putting out three or four objects and you hold the picture and you say, let's match. Which one's this? Let's find this one. And again, whatever this one is. Don't say, really say this one. I always use the word because I'm trying to teach vocabulary both receptively and expressively. So if it's a shoe, you're going to say, get the shoe. Where's the shoe? Which one's the shoe? It's a match. Yes. And always reinforce it um, with, with that appropriate language. Okay. Let's move on to talking about matching by colors. I do start with with the same objects that the only difference in the object is by color. So I'll have a set of blocks or a set of cars or Legos. Legos are great for this activity so that you may, and at the beginning, just start with two colors. Have three or four uh, red Legos and three or four blue Legos, and you're sorting them by, you know, let's put the red ones here and let's put the blue ones here. And let me just say, kids have to match by color long before they understand you saying, which one's red, or certainly before they they're able to answer a question like, what color is it? What what color is this? So matching by color is really, really important too. And so for some of your kids who just aren't learning colors, you may have to back way up to this point that you think about them matching colors first and so that you're doing some things. And again, I like to use Legos or blocks or a big um, 
bucket of crayons if you've collected crayons over the years. You know, pull yourself out four or five red crayons and four or five green ones and four or five blue ones, and you can certainly use it for that kind of teaching. And I, I use the method that we just talked about where I'm pulling one color out and I'm saying, we have to match it. Where's red? Where's red? And I'm pointing. I'm pointing to the little pile of red ones, and I'm saying, there it is. There it is. Get it, get it, get it. And if they don't, then that's when you reach over and do your hand-over-hand assistance so that you're helping the child pick it up, and then you're helping him, showing him, look, it's, it's red. This is It's a match. So that he's seeing what you want him to do. So make sure that you're following through with that whole round of teaching. And don't just do it a time or two and then leave it and then do something else. Really sit there and match as many as he'll do. Now, again, I don't mean to do it for 35 minutes if he's lost interest, but you certainly have to provide enough opportunities for him to be able to retain that information and and really learn it. And so that if you go back next week and he can't do it, you didn't spend enough time. And, again, it may take weeks and weeks and weeks, and it may take weeks in therapy and mom, you know, five or six days out of the week doing this for three or four minutes at a time so that a child over over days and over weeks or even months would need that repeated practice and that repeated repetition to be able to learn that concept and to understand um, what you've really meant by that. I gave pretty good examples of that picture-to-picture. I skipped that. But we've talked about how easy that is to do with puzzles. You certainly could take, could print like duplicate duplicates or the same picture of an object that you've taken um, a picture of with a child. And again, you might make this a lot more fun and do if they have something that they just love. Let's say um, they're into bubble guppies, and that's one of the newer shows. Or Yo Yo Gabba Gabba. Take one of those characters and take a picture and then print, you know, five of the same picture and then five of something else, like, you know, maybe one of their books and five of something else, maybe, um, you know, a spoon, and then you could sit and certainly match those pictures. And you could do it where you're holding up one and having the child match it. You might do something where you're, you like, you know, three each of those out, so there are nine different pictures there. That's kind of hard. You certainly couldn't start with that. But but for a kid who was a little further along, you could say, oh, let's find the ones that match. Let's find all of Yo Yo Gabba Gabba or whatever. I, I don't I don't watch that show. I don't I don't know if that's character. Or if that's just the name of the show. But you could find the the matching cards, the matching pictures that way. Let me just say too, one word about pictures. Never start with teaching a toddler anything with pictures. We have to always teach with the real object first, and we always teach by doing, meaning if a child has very little experience with a ball, you would not want to teach that a ball is a ball with a picture of a ball. What would you want to do? You would want to roll it and throw it and kick it and bounce it, all the things we do with a ball. That's how a kid learns what a ball is, not with that picture, Okay. So if you've been kind of a picture therapist, if you are new to early intervention and you are just coming in and you are just used to using flashcards or apps with kids, leave your iPad in the car. <laughs> Drop your your flashcards off with somebody else and tell them, do not give them back to me until way in the future 
so that I can get myself in the habit of using real objects to teach toddlers language because, guys, they're not going to understand it from a picture. They really, really need that physical, real, concrete representation to learn what it is, learn how to use it, certainly how to use it and how to play. So many of our little guys don't know how to play. And so can you imagine trying to teach them what a train is or what a car is from a picture without rolling Thomas or, uh, you know, Lightning McQueen across the floor and saying car and train? They don't get it. They don't get it unless we give them lots and lots and lots of practice so that they can hear the word over and over and link meaning and, and use it in the right way. You absolutely cannot start with teaching child with a language delay or disorder what something is by using pictures. So I hope that you are sticking to real objects and doing that. We certainly also talked about the hierarchy for teaching colors. We sort and match by color first. We identify the, then we move on to identifying the colors receptively, meaning that you say, where's yellow? Give me the yellow one. Oh, great. Okay, show me orange. Where's orange? That you do that where the last thing a child learns is how to say the color name. So make sure that you are thinking about teaching parents how to do, learn those things, how to teach colors in a way that we know how to do it. And make sure that you follow what you know and that you know what you should know when you are teaching children how to match and then certainly teaching them how to uh, learn your colors. All right, all of that information was in my book, Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual. So many speech pathologists, wherever I go, wherever I'm teaching the course, uh, therapists are always telling me how much they like my materials, but more than any other product that I have, um, I get tons of feedback no matter where I am with, I love the therapy manual. It's the book I use every day. It's on my desk, the one that I use when I plan therapy. It's what I use when I write goals. I copy sections of it and give it to moms. And part of me wants to say, let mom buy her own book. But I don't say that (laughs) because part of what we're supposed to be doing with these materials really is using them for parent education. So that's a joke. But be sure that if you don't have a good resource like that, that you get it. It is a Cheap book by Therapy Standards. I think it's $54. I hardly remember what things cost on the website once I type it in because I am not a numbers person. Uh, but it's it's 54 bucks. It would be a great investment in your career. And, again, if you are er- new to early intervention and new to pediatrics, I don't know how you're practicing without a resource like that. And it's all in one place. When I first started, I had to really – use assessments like this so that I can figure out what skill came next by looking at the test. And then I didn't always have practical ways for working on that in therapy, and I had to really think about it and really, you know, spend time planning what I was going to do. I have done that work for you with the therapy manual, so just get that book. I promise, I promise, I promise it will be a great investment in your professional development. All right, we're about five minutes short, but I've said all I'm going to say about this topic, so we are just going to call it a day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I love hearing from you, so if you have any feedback for me, email me, Tara at teachingyourpod.com.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.